Hello, and welcome to episode 53 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two handsome debonair co-hosts, Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. Um... On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the 1993 film directed by Harold Ramis, uh, Groundhog Day. Um, but before I heard we, that, Dave. Uh, what? Oh, he's popping some whiskey at the moment. <laughs> oh, you heard that? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but before we uh, get into the episode, I wanted to say that this is, if this is your first time listening to us, you can find us on the web at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast and at reviewedpodcast.com. And you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Dot com. But guys, it's Groundhog Day, and what better time to talk about Groundhog, uh, the movie Groundhog Day, than on February 2nd um, itself. So let's talk about some Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day! Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors. Is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Ned! Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck. In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bang! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. This is a film that came out in 93, as I said. It stars Bill Murray in one of his most successful films, I would say. Um, and it stars Andy... Most Mac- well-known, well, well-known. Yeah. And it stars Andy McDowell um, as well. Um, and, uh, God, my mind is blinking. Oh, Chris Elliott is also yeah. uh, co-stars in the mm-hmm. film. And if you haven't seen Groundhog Day, and how is that possible, it's about a weatherman, uh, played by Bill Murray, who from finds Pittsburgh. Him, from Pittsburgh, who finds himself living the same day over and over again, that day being Groundhog Day. It is a dark comedy, it's a romance, it's a drama, it's a little bit of everything, and it's a movie I'm excited to talk about for a variety of reasons. One, it's a really, um, I'm, I'm just gonna throw my cards up on the table, it's a really, really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one that has appealed to both critics and um, and general audiences. It's it's not one of those divisive movies that only, that's a critical darling and then isn't beloved by general audiences. This is a movie that was, when it came out, both a hit uh, financially, but also a hit critically. And um, it's a movie that has been ripped off interminably after this film. It feels like there's been a million Groundhog Day imitators. So it's kind of interesting to go back to 93 when this idea felt... I'm guessing this wasn't the first time this idea was ever done, but it definitely feels uh, probably fresher in 93 than it does uh, now. But before... I have a lot of things to say about this movie, but before I do that, um, I'll turn to Mike, uh, the purveyor of whether or not... Uh, prognosticator. The prognosticator of prognosticators. <laughs> to discuss Groundhog Day uh, and his thoughts in it. And I'm very curious uh, whether or not this movie works for you, Mike, because it features a semi-unlikable protagonist. And as I've known from this show, uh, you hate uh, unlikable protagonists. <laughs> so um, what are your thoughts on Groundhog Day? Right. Um, oh, uh, and, and and is this a movie you're familiar with? And I uh, guess... How do you separate your viewing it now in 2016 and viewing it whenever you first saw it? You just had to ask that second part of the question, right? So I have to reveal the fact that I've never seen this movie. What? Like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. I, I, I mean, I know that's not surprising because you don't watch any movies and like you've never. That's like, that's all the reason why I'm on the show. Yeah, but. And but, now we're going to relive this day over and over again. Well, <laughs> Ivan will have to do the podcast over and over again. No, but like, I guess, I guess my surprise being is I feel like this is a hard one to miss. It's, yeah. it's, it's on TV all the time. Mm. It, 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 it's just, it's a movie that's just there. Like I have a yearly tradition of actually watching this every February 2nd. So I've seen <laughs> this movie so many times. Um, it's absurd. So Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, Mike. my girlfriend has seen this movie and she has not seen like almost any movies. So I, I am, this is, this is egregious that I missed this one. <laughs> I am, I'm ashamed. So how'd it go? Um, no, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, Ivan, you're right. Like I generally 
don't enjoy unlikable protagonists, right? Um, my, my thing is always I like seeing changes in people and I like seeing a progression, right? So I think a character starting off as a jerk and ending as a jerk is like, well, not a whole lot of character <laughs> development there for me. So um, I, I think it's great. I, I What I really liked about the movie more than anything else, I think, is his transformation is not... It seems very genuine, it seems real, and it seems it's not preachy, right? So then it didn't feel like the movie was trying to get across like, oh, if you're a good person, life will be good to you. Like, it really felt like we were going through a journey with this guy um, and went to places I didn't think it was going to go. Like, some really dark, like, all the suicides he, he, he attempts and uh, the fact that, like, he and I thought that was brilliant because it definitely you really start feeling for this guy that like, my God, he is stuck. Like he really is stuck. He's literally tried the ultimate exit. He cannot get out of here. Um, the only thing he didn't do, which I wish he had was stay up past midnight. Cause that was one thing I'm like, what if he stays up past midnight? Maybe that's, what's going to no, do he, it. You know? He does. He definitely does in the movie. No, I don't think he does. I no, think there's, they stay up there, three. There, there, there's, there's a sequence with Annie McDowell where it goes to midnight. It turns to midnight and she says, what? You're still here. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't happen until 6am. Oh, right. Well, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, right. Not because he was I think he stayed up to like three and then he went to sleep. I wanted to see him wait until 6 a.m. And no matter where he was, like it just stops and it just restarts again. Just so we know, like, yep, this guy's completely stuck. <laughs> um, but even still, I'm, I'm nitpicking, honestly, because I think they, they really do a good job of that. I mean, hell, heck, if suicide doesn't work. And you're like, what else can he do? Right. So I feel like we see this really interesting journey where first he, he comes to grip, grips with it, where he's deciding, well, I can do whatever I want. This will be great. And then when that whole, like, selfish lifestyle kind of wears off, like, well, then what's next? Well, I could sleep with maybe any woman in the world because I can, uh, did you hear that? Sorry, was that super loud? I didn't hear a thing. Oh, great. Someone just texted me on my, on my computer. And it, oh. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I feel like the, uh, and now, of course, I don't know where the heck I was in the, in the oh, it was, so he, he's kind of, he realized, oh, I can kind of sleep with any woman in this town as long as I kind of do enough research and plan things out. And he starts kind of doing that until he hits a roadblock with um, Rita. And he realizes, like, okay, no, this isn't going to work. And how many times he's tried it. So we see how many times he's tried it. Um, and it still doesn't work, right? And then we kind of get into the, the the whole, like, well, what else can he do? He just decides to start doing things differently and how different things are once he starts, like, making a change in his life and start actually helping people. He starts getting a, a more sustainable joy and, and peace with his life and with this Sisyphean cycle that he's stuck in, you know? Good and word. I think I, I, I want to – my favorite scene in the movie, I think, is the scene in the alleyway with the old man. But we'll, I, guess, I don't want to jump ahead of the gun too, too, um, too quickly, but I, I do want to talk about that scene because I thought that was very good. Um, you're talking about the uh, the scene where he's trying to save yeah, the old man's yeah. life over and over again, and he can't. Right, right, right. And how like he that that's one of the things. I mean, it, the movie ends happily, right? But that's one thing that doesn't. Like he cannot save this guy to the point where you know in the early movie he won't even look at the guy, he won't even touch the guy. He's so desperate to save this man's life that he's willing to give a homeless guy mouth to mouth, right? Um, and it still doesn't work. And there's just a scene, there's just a shot in the alleyway with him standing over the guy's body. You literally see the last breath come out of the guy's mouth. Um, and just how distraught he is, the fact that he can't save this guy. I think it's a great character moment. It's a great plot moment. Just it's a really good that's that's the kind of stuff that I feel like that depth that's in there is what makes the movie so good. Are you a fan? Were you a fan of Bill Murray? I mean, in general, when you have you seen Yeah, him? yeah, no, I mean I seen him in Ghostbusters. I've seen him in a number of things, right? And I, I generally like the guy. I don't I, I don't think he's one of my favorites, but I appreciate him. Um he, he's um I feel like his personality at the beginning of the movie is almost like kind of every movie he ever it's yeah. a sarcastic, like prickish kind of character but um he's like peter venkman from Ghostbusters. exactly yeah i mean i think that's him in real in life i think every movie he does is like that right but uh but he does it so well that it's hard to really begrudge him for it you know yeah so dave you watch this every year <laughs> yeah so i know where you stand on groundhog day um but i i'm just kind of okay i in the, I don't want this podcast to turn into an episode of the Chris Farley show where we just like talk about how amazing it is. I want to kind of dig into why it's good. Like what about it? Why, why does it work? And I was I asking the hard questions, Ivan. Well, yes. And, <laughs> yes, yes, and, yes. and having seen this movie as many times as you have and just rewatching it now, I mean, what about it makes it work so well? This movie's like comfort food somehow. It's like one of the best comfort food movies I think ever made. And it's I think it's the kind of movie it, it, where it, when it was released at the time, it was well-reviewed. Uh, it was popular. Bill Murray was a relatively big box office draw. He was a star. Um, but I don't think... I think it, it was over time that this movie, uh, just like a lot of movies, I guess, that we talk about on this podcast, 
it, it took a while for this movie to become uh, the classic that it is. And one thing I can think about is I want, that I should mention is that Roger Ebert reviewed this movie and, and when it came out, I think in 93 was when it came out, and gave it three out of four, which is a, which is a recommendation. Uh, and then 10, 15 years later, he added it to his uh, series of great movies where he changed his hmm. review to like classic masterpiece, four stars or whatever. And I think it's that kind of, one of those kind of movies where it wasn't so successful when it came out that there was a backlash. It was just successful enough uh, to be considered, you know, a hit, but not so successful that, uh, you know... People started hating people, on it. Right, people started hating on it. Yeah. And then over time, uh, it's just they, they kind of lucked out with the idea, I think. Um, the idea of repeating something over and over and over again, uh, kind of playing with that time travel concept. Because um, I think everybody deep down wants that ability to be able to uh, fix, you know, you think about your day, you think, mm, what could I have done better today, you know, and having the opportunity to relive that same day over and over again, uh, I think appeals to most people. So, I, I, you know, I think when, you know, people say, oh, it's like Groundhog Day, it's, it's almost, uh, it's almost uh, as popular as saying uh, deja vu, you know. Um, so, I think that uh, there's a comforting aspect to this movie, regardless of how dark it gets. And it, you know, gets a little bit dark. But um, I think the reason I enjoy watching it every year is because uh, it's hard to find a lot of flaws in this movie. I mean, it's, um, and it's really fun to sit through. I mean, Bill Murray's really fun. He's just a really fun actor to watch. And this was a kind of a turning point in his career where he was kind of a prankster, jerky kind of character that was just lovable enough for you to watch him in a lot of movies, you know, starting the, you know, with Saturday Night Live in the 70s through the early 90s. And in this movie, it's almost like he transitions from that that early Bill Murray to the, la- the later year Bill Murray, where he's, you know, really good at playing kind of sad, sarcastic, uh, world-weary uh, people, uh, but still appealing at the same time. So... You know, watching this movie for me now, what's interesting about it is, is, is seeing the beginning where you, where Mike, you're comparing Bill Murray, the same old Bill Murray, et cetera, et cetera, transitioning, becoming a more moral person, um, you know, a, a more interesting person, is almost like the uh, that's like the track that of Bill Murray's career in some ways. He he becomes uh, the kind of actor where you watch him in a movie and he doesn't need to say much. You can just read the sadness on his face. You can read. I mean, you, 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 you he becomes a very a more subtle actor, and I think in this movie, his performance is is fantastic, and I think that's one of the reasons it works so well. It's hard to imagine another actor playing the role in this movie, um, and so I really like watching this movie for Bill Murray and the general cleverness of the script. I think visually, it's not a movie that holds up in the way that something like Die Hard or Being John Malkovich holds up. There's not a lot of interesting things visually I'd say in this movie. Uh, you know, maybe the actual things that are happening on, you know, in the frame are interesting. But, uh, you know, there's nothing that, you know, the way it actually looks isn't that, you know, spectacular. Um, no, I, I think you bring up a lot of good points, Dave. And, I mean, I, I guess I'll start with Bill Murray and this idea of perfectly casting a movie. And this... So I can't think of Iron Man unless he's Robert Downey Jr. And, like, right. like, like that's, that's, a, that's a where you can't separate the actor from the character he portrays. And I feel the same way about the Phil in this movie. Uh, I think that Phil is only Bill Murray. Like I can't, I can't even imagine this movie working with any other actor. Um, I think it, um, he's phenomenal because he knows how to do things comedically, but also, uh, strike this, uh, really dark sensibility of humanity because he's such a bad person to start out with. And then again, his, his transition is so satisfying as the movie progresses. But the reason why I think this movie is so good, and I, I was really trying to rack my brain about why it is, because as you mentioned, Dave, the movie isn't visually, it doesn't have visual panache. It's shot very simply, um, which actually I don't mind. I think a lot of movies are overshot nowadays. But this is, um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a visual film in that sense. The thing that works so well is that structurally, I think the screenplay is amazing. And I, I, it's almost divided into acts, if you, 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 if you yeah, think about it, yeah, like, um, the, the, the first, first act when he, so after he discovers his powers, so to speak, the first act is all about sin, right? It's all about gluttony and lust. It's mm. about doing the, the, it's using this power for the worst things possible to satiate your own desires, whether it be food or sex or whatever. Um, the second act is about love. 
but it's about love being uh, done uh, through the lens of sin. This idea of, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Um, uh, thinking that romance is something you manufacture, that you can manufacture, yeah. or you manipulate it. You can manipulate someone into loving you, and vice versa. Yeah, e- exactly. But uh, the movie becomes entirely focused on the Rita relationship, mm-hmm. uh, and then the movie switches into a. Um, into a portrait of, uh, not portrait, kind of like a, an elegy of death. It's all about, it, the whole movie turns from love to death. It, it, it's, it's Bill Murray, uh, you know. Accepting death. Accepting death, <laughs> trying to commit suicide. And then you have the most symbolic uh, harbinger of death in the whole movie, and that's the old man mm. who he can't save. Um, and then from there, we move into this idea of um, hope, which is what the end film was about. It's about um, using your time differently. And the thing I find most fascinating about the film is it really, it's all about the blessing and curse of time, right? Like mm-hmm. he has endless time. Um, like he has, he has, but he has a lifetime to do anything, but he only can do it in a set period. And right. I think it's, it's like, it's a really fascinating, like catch 22, right? Like he yeah, can it's, it's balanced set location really well. too. Yeah. Go anywhere. <laughs> like he can't go anywhere, but he can do anything. Like he could, and he does in the movie, uh, which, you know, to humorous effect, like he learns to become an amazing piano player and he, right. he learns to speak French. Uh, there was an original draft. I was reading, there was an original draft of this screenplay where they, um, they had a bunch of shots of him in a library reading a book where he said he was going to read one page from a book in the Puxatoni library. And by the end of the movie, he had finished every book in the library, mm-hmm. meaning he had been there for hundreds of thousands yeah, of days. Yeah, so that's a question I wonder. I, how long do you think he's there for? I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it is in the hundreds of thousands of days. Yeah. Um, uh, because I, I think that for a human being to have to contemplate their own death, like the need to kill themselves over this. I think you have to move beyond just a handful of days. And, you know, it, it's a thing where you, they, the movie does a very interesting thing where it never really lets you know. Um, they, you know, occasionally will cut to different takes of the same scene, but at the same time, at the very end of the movie, when he's doing quote unquote everything right, um, you know, it's the first time we see him try to catch that boy, but obviously he's been watching that boy fall for you know, countless number of times or watching this couple have their car tire pop out, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, millions of times and, and whatnot. So I think it's like this idea, I think Sisyphean is an apt word, but it's also this idea of, uh, of almost like purgatory, right? He's like in this sense of, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like in this, no, the, the myth of Sisyphus is the one who, uh, where he's rolling a boulder up, up the hill, hill. Or, yeah, yeah, the boulder he, up the hill and, just, and the um, hill never ends. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's sort of a takeoff of that. I think another movie that did it very very well, Ivan, you and I saw it. It was called uh, Triangle. Oh um, yeah, yeah, and that's oh, that's right. a much darker movie. But. Well, God, yeah, much darker. But I think also that the same idea of like you know, of this repetition and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Um. So yeah, I I just think that I think that the movie works, and I think the reason it's so good, and the reason probably Roger Ebert changed his review to modern day classic, you know, when he had the benefit of hindsight is I think it takes this really great high, it takes a high concept idea, like a really poppy, like you can imagine, you can imagine the screenwriters pitching this idea in a, in a, in a room. Like I can see this movie selling very well in a room. Like it's easily explainable and it's like, oh, that would be interesting. I'd love to see that concept. It's like pitching splash. You're like a man falls in love with a mermaid. Like it's like <laughs> an easy like thing. Man lives the same day over and over again, right? But the right. reason I think it ends up being more than that is because it's really tackling these deep themes. Themes, And I guess to springboard from that, Mike, why don't you talk a little bit more about the scene with the old man? Because I agree with you. It's such a brief moment, but I think it's one of the most, I think it's, I think it's one of the most poignant moments in the whole film and in, not just in this film, but in like all movies, I think it's an incredibly touching scene. Um, I don't know if you wanted to address that anymore. Yeah, 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 sure. Well, so one thing I want to say before uh, jumping into it is I, I think this movie is a perfect example of why movies become great. Right. So at, at, a, at its, the premise is cool and it's interesting of the same, the man living the same day over and over again. Right. Um, but that's not enough, I think, to carry it through into the realm of modern day classics. Right. So, just like the same thing about Jaws, like man hunting a shark is not really that is, is an interesting enough premise. But when you make the story about something bigger, about you know this man's uh, quest to find his own manhood, or or Bill Murray learning about life and love, that's when something becomes really great because you can find the greater realities, greater truths about life, and you can kind of 
you know, uh, convey these these uh, these deep truths about uh, reality um, through a very almost a mythic, uh, simple story, which I think the, the greatest myths and fables and stuff like that have the same kind of concept. Um, so I feel like that's where the movie starts really having a lot of value because it, up until that point, it's entertainment. And then I think once it starts going into this idea of this man trying to get out of it and, and trying to kill himself and being trapped and caught and then kind of having to come to terms with that, it becomes a lot more, a lot deeper because it's more of a parallel for like, I think people being stuck in a situation. Like one of the best lines in the movie, I think is when he's in the diner, um, and he's talking, oh, sorry, the bar and he's talking to those two guys and he says like, yeah, I'm it's, stuck it's in the, the same b- town, it's- same day over and over again and nothing ever changes. The guy's like, sounds right to me, whatever he said. I think that's <laughs> yeah. the second best line in the movie. Like, sounds like my life or whatever. No, right. and it, 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 that, that's a really interesting moment because when he's with those two yokels in that bowling alley, it, that's, uh, those characters are obviously meant to be humorous. Like, it, they, you know, they're playing kind of stereotypes of the you know, the hicks that might live in Puxatani. But the thing about that is it's it's horribly heartbreaking. It's like this idea that you're stuck in your situation. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's an analogy for what the, their own situations of being, you know, they never got out of that town. They never got a better job. Like nothing is different. They're just living the same. It's it's, it's an analogy, yeah. And um, I um, I mean, like I, I as Dave said, the term like, oh, it's like Groundhog's Day. I say that all the time, like when I just do, like when I'm doing the same work project over and over again. <laughs> right. It's just like, <laughs> haven't I been day. doing this? Oh, like my whole life is just the same thing over and over. And that can be very depressing. Uh, it's, it's the whole, you know, glass, glass, half empty, half full argument, but it can also, um, I think the movie makes an argument about how you have to change your frame of mind yes. to, um, yes. to move past that. Like you can, you can accept how, how terrifying and depressing that all is the repetition, but you can also, t- you know, see the. Uh, use your mind to see the beauty of how you can make the world better because you're in familiar situations. So- exactly. And what's interesting is like, yeah, the, he says that whole glass half empty, half full thing. Right. Um, and then he immediately takes that the wrong way. And he's like, well, I could do whatever I want. That's right. This is amazing. Meanwhile, just saying, well, take a look at what you have around you and what you can do with this and, and try to understand how to live with it and make the best out of it and that kind of stuff. Um, but I, anyway, I wanted, to, I wanted to just jump back. And I, I mean, I don't think I have anything extensive to say anything about the scene with the uh, old guy in the alley, except that, um, I, I think that's the moment where we have, we see, uh, Phil kind of understand the value of life or just understand like what, what life is all about. There's a, it's just, he, you go from a guy, I, I'm trying to think what he's been doing up to that point, right? He, he's been he understands kind of doing, how much control he really has at that point. Like he, that's when he really learns or, that, like, he can only do so much, you know? Right, right. Exactly. I think at that point he's been kind of saving people here and there with these like simple tasks, like jacking up a car or doing whatever. Um, but now he's, he's kind of having this, it's almost like a, a need to, to, to now save everybody. Right. So I feel like that moment is where he kind of understands the limit of um, what was his curse now is his, his blessing or his power, as Ivan said earlier. Like, um, and I, I just think it speaks volume to, volumes to, that, to his character at that point because um, from a guy who's running down the street punching his childhood friend in the face and like <laughs> doing all these manipulative, terror, like mean things, right? How upset and how distraught, like you talked earlier about how he can very quickly in a single look convey a lot of emotion. I don't know what it was, but it was one of the rare moments in a film where I actually saw something like you see something bigger than the scene going on where he like just that moment of mourning where he's like, I, I this poor homeless guy that I wouldn't touch is now dead. And I tried everything I can, including like mouth to mouth, which is, again, it's, it's something very intimate and very like dangerous for somebody who well, I guess if you live the same day over and over again you don't have to worry about catching any kind of diseases at all but um and I think that's kind of where he first encapsulates the the character that um Rita describes in her ideal man where she talks about somebody who is you know gentle and kind and loving and and selfless and all these things I feel like that's the moment where he kind of finally becomes that character you know yeah and um well, this might be a good transition to talk about Rita a little bit um, yeah I'd like to yeah is I think that if you're going to poke a criticism at the movie, is she a little too perfect of a character or, um, well, she's not given enough room. We, you know, we don't really see enough of her to, to be fair. It's, she only has a handful of scenes technically. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, and she gets, I mean, just like everyone, almost everyone else in the movie, she, she gets to play a lot of the same notes over and over again, because that's kind of the point of the movie where he's, he's the one thing that's, that's able to change where, or else everything else has to stay the same. So but she think, her her job basically just has to to be uh be a sympathetic uh funny you know love young, interest attractive love interest right, right. right 
Yeah, but I think what's interesting is we get to see how she reacts to small changes in, in a situation. So, like, you can see how very clear, like, okay, perfect example is their first date is not much different than their final night where they finally fall, like, officially fall in love, right? Because it's the same thing, um, except that she didn't want to rush into sleeping with him um, and how much that changed something. Which Once she realized that was kind of what he was doing, how upset she became, right? So I feel like that gives her a certain amount of depth. She's not just this, like bimbo who's looking at like she's not just a love interest she's somebody with like a specific set of values and ivan to your point yes she is a little too perfect right but i think this movie kind of needs it because she's the ideal that bill murray is is trying to aspire to in a way or not her specifically but but to that level you know yeah she's kind of this interesting character right like um I think it might have been interesting. So she's from Pittsburgh and she's like this producer. Um, you could have painted her in a different way. Like the screenwriters could have gone in a different direction and made her like a job focused, like career climber. But they make her kind of like this um, ideal woman in, in a way. And I mm-hmm. realize that sounds somewhat sexist, but she, she she's, you know, a loving woman who wants children and wants to live in the country. Yeah, the archetypal and, woman. Yeah, yeah, she's like the this idea of... For a woman who's supposedly in a high-powered career, she seems very much like the typical homemaker. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or if the movie's trying to make a commentary on that. But I think she's almost like... You need a foil for Bill Murray's character. She's the antithesis, right? She's the opposite end of the spectrum. She's not career-focused. She's... Exactly, yeah. She, uh, you know, she genuinely likes good things. uh, And uh, she's even got the little southern twang in her voice. Um, (laughs) So she's like this idealized woman i remember having <laughs> apart from her horrible vest that she wears throughout the movie oh. uh, i remember mm. having a huge crush on her when i you know first saw this <laughs> uh back in 93 or whatever um <laughs> 90s fashion man yeah. um no the thing um i, I kind of want to now talk about also is these supporting characters that are throughout the movie because there's a slew of them yeah. uh, of great supporting characters a lot of that guy actors are in this movie um yeah. of course the big one steven tobolowski, steven tobolowski yeah. playing uh <laughs> ned the head uh, uh needle nose ned yeah. um bing um <laughs> bing <laughs> um but also michael shannon is in this movie yeah. which i didn't even remember until i rewatched it just now uh, he plays the uh, young married man whose wife is having cold feet, and at the end, Bill Murray gives them WrestleMania tickets, which is just <laughs> right. Uh, so, right. a very young Michael Shannon's in this movie. The guy who has that am- I can't think of his name. I should look it up. But the guy who has that amazing voice who plays the mayor of Puxatani, uh, Brian Doyle Murray. That, whoa. Right, as Bill, as Bill Murray's brother. Is actually. it really? Yes, Bill no Murray way. has a couple of brothers. Uh, Joel Murray, who was on Mad Men, and a couple other, and some other movies. Well, Brian Doyle Murray has one of the great voices in show business. Yeah. He's like Sam Elliott. Like he's just like just a very iconic, recognizable. I always voice. used to get him mixed up with Charles Durning. Whoa, for some reason. <laughs> Dave! I never realized Joel Murray was his brother. That's insane. Do you know Joel Murray? Yeah, I watched Mad Men, so yeah, okay. he's uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's Bill Murray's brother. Uh, <laughs> Um, and there's just a lot of like little parts throughout the movie that are, are, are really great. And the, the thing is, the movie is big. Like the, the, the characters are very archetypal. Like they're almost, they're almost stereotypical or trope-like, but for some reason that really works in this movie. And I, I wonder if you guys can attest to why that is, or at least for me, it works. Um, like, you know, the, the inn that he's staying in, the, uh, the bed and breakfast owner, she's like the typical, like you know, dumb, but sweet. That's just kind of the tone of this movie. The tone of this movie yeah. is very broad, you know. It's, it's and very... I, I think it works for the setting, too. The setting is a town of very simple folks doing very simple things. Like, I think that kind of just works in their favor of painting this very gray, drab, simplistic town. The idea um, that this movie's getting at where you have to uh, kind of let life happen or become, you know, we could, just like being John Malkovich, it's a little bit of a movie about empathy. You have to become empathetic towards people to really understand and live your life in a, you know, fuller, more uh, yeah, satisfying this movie, way. This movie does it much better than being John Malkovich. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I don't know if it does it better, but I think I think Dave's bringing up an interesting point about what makes us human, right? And I think I was having this discussion with my wife the other day, but humanity is empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how you differentiate a person who is, when I, now that I think about it, is having um, respect for people in all situations and, and being able to kind of, somehow see how their life is living how sorry how they're living their life and how things can affect them and i think that if you don't have that ability to do that um i think it shows a lack of humanity so like I agree. like a good 
I guess a good way to uh, point this out is people are often, it's like people that are mean to like waiters or people that are mean mm-hmm. to like check out people or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I think that is a good example of lack of empathy, or it can even be larger than that. People are like, oh, I don't understand how anyone could support this political candidate. And you can like, you if you just cast off people as other without, mm-hmm. you know, right. it, it, it not only negates who they are as humans, but it also, it shows a lack of intelligence in your part because it shows you, it's this idea that just because people are not necessarily the most intelligent, that they don't have complexity. Right. And I, I think that they're- I agree. You can also turn that around. I can turn your statement around and say like the, the, that guy yelling at the uh, cashier, you're only experiencing that, that one moment with the guy. You don't know what that guy's been through all day that's or what true. he's experienced in his life. Yeah. So no, I, you know, I think I've been, I've been right on the money and I think that's one of my- you know, my criticisms of movies that don't possess that quality to me feel very short-sighted or uneducated or, you know, frustrating or, or just small to me. And I think that's the thing. When I see a movie like this, I feel like, wow, this movie kind of gets the bigger picture and it kind of understands the greater realities of stuff. And I think other movies don't. And it frustrates me because I feel like, like I said, it just doesn't seem like it's it's very well thought out or even well experienced, if that makes sense. Like the writer didn't really get to the heart of life yet. He's kind of cruising along on the surface at what he thinks is cool. Um Whereas a movie like this, I think, kind of understands it a lot more. Yeah, and again, I'm just amazed by the structure of the film because, uh, you know, going back on what I said earlier, I think it's just a brilliantly written screenplay because if I was, you know, given this pitch, like, hey, I need to write this screenplay based on this idea, I wouldn't know how to end it. Like, I wouldn't know... I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know how to get. I, well, maybe I, I. Sorry, I wouldn't know how to end it. I know he would have to become like a good person. I don't know how I would get from A to B, mm-hmm. and I feel like the the fact that the movie manages to bridge that and keep things interesting and. The movie never gets boring, even though you're seeing the same events over and over again. Right. Um, Every time that clock goes off, you can't, you're not sure. Is this going to be the one that changes? Like, what, what's going to happen? Yeah. And maybe that's the reason the, the whole playing a broad kind of a thing, maybe that's why it works so well. Because those are the people, you end up remembering those people later on when it becomes important that, okay, the reason he's changing is because instead of, uh, you know, instead of, you know, dismissing Needle Nose Ned, he's, he's buying insurance from him at the end, you know. And he has to be a large character for you to kind of remember him. Uh, I guess he doesn't have to, but I mean, it, it, it certainly helps. You know? and, and, and I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, um, Sam Ramis is a comedic, Her- is, uh, sorry, Harold yeah. Ramis. Yeah. What am I saying? Sam Raimi was what I was thinking <laughs> in my head. Her- Harold Ramis is a comedic actor and director. And he was the doctor, right? Yes, he was the okay. doctor in the film. Egon Spengler in <laughs> Ghostbusters. Um, right, right. You know, I knew that, but he he put on some weight since Egon, Egon days. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's him right there. Yeah, he was, he's the doctor. Um, but he he manages to keep the movie moving. Uh, I'm talking about these dark themes of this movie, but it's really, really goddamn funny. Like, it's just a real funny movie. And a lot of that has to do with the delivery of Bill Murray. But there's just amazing one-liners in this movie. Like when Rita's like, she's like, they've been out all day dancing and they're not a care in the world, no matter how cold it is. He's like, of course, Rita, they're hicks. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> <Right>. like, <laughs> um, do you have a cappuccino or a frappuccino? Do you, I, I don't know how to spell cappuccino or <laughs> Like it's just like it's all perfectly timed delivery of just wonderful one-liners that really really work, and I think that's the Bill Murrayness of it. But it's also the Harold, Harold Ramis of it. Like um, Stripes is another one of my favorite comedies. Um, I don't know if you, have you seen Stripes, Dave? That's the uh, Bill Murray and John Candy. Uh, Bill Murray, Army. John Candy, uh, and Harold um, and Harold Ramis. I've seen the movie not all the way through, but in pieces. Uh, and that's just, it's just so many great one-liners in that movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's directed by Ivan Reitman. So all these people tended to work together a lot. In fact, I think that Groundhog Day is missing John Candy. Like, imagine how amazing it would be if John Candy was in this movie. Because yeah. he's the kind of actor that would feel like he would fit in Puxatani. Like, he, mm, yeah. he, 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 would, he plays those kind of roles so well. Um, but yeah, that, I guess that's a very minor, uh, minor complaint. So, um, at the risk so of, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was saying, here's a question. Why Groundhog Day? Why is that? Is there something I'm missing or not? Like a thing I didn't quite pick up on? Like why is the same day over and over again, Groundhog? I would like say just the idea of six more weeks of winter. Like I would say it's because it takes place, it takes place in such a, what, uh, a desolate time of year. You know, it's a, it's a holiday that people that generally, at least Americans know, um, and it's you know it, it's meant he's meant to be stuck in a desolate place and that's a kind of a well I think you know, that um, cold of winter I mean you could attribute it to a variety of factors one I I think that there is something symbolic about it um it, it's a holiday that dictates 
uh, a star like the uh, the continuation of more dread, right? The oh, continuation right, right. of more winter. So right, I think that's okay. an I think that's okay, an interesting bit of symbolism. But uh, beyond that, I think that there is something very darkly humorous about. Okay, you can live one holiday over and over again for the rest of your <laughs> life. And like people would say like Christmas or Halloween or Thanksgiving, like really big food holidays or, or, or gift giving holidays. But it's like it's like being like, oh no, you're gonna be able to live President's Day over and over again. <laughs> right. Like there it's like it's like the total um, uh, um, subversion of that wish in, in a lot of ways. Also, I think it's a non sequitur that's really funny. Like Groundhog Day is kind of a it's like this weird like it's a weird holiday, right? Like it's yeah. super weird, yeah. It, it's such an American weird like folkloric holiday like uh it, it's almost like when you know um uh, it, isn't there a holiday in, in 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 Ireland where they like beat snakes? Is that like St. Patrick's Day or something like that? I don't know. It's almost like that kind of weird like cultural uh, significance, but in America, like no, we pull a rodent out of its hovel and it see if it sees its shadow, which it always will because it's. It's 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 just such yeah. a bizarre ritual. It is a bizarre holiday. I was in I was in India when I was in semester. I did semester at the in college, and I was there during some holiday where they were celebrating by smashing watermelons on the street. So Gallagher's holiday? Like <laughs> yes, no, no, they weren't doing it with sledgehammers. They were throwing watermelons on the street. So I don't know. I guess you just have to be there to really understand why they people. Have it's these a cultural holidays. thing, right? It's a cultural thing. And it kind of almost makes me want to try one day to drive up to Gobbler's Knob just for yeah. to say I've been like a bucket list item just to, you know, actually go to Groundhog's Day and see. What. Yeah. Except I think this movie was shot in Woodstock, Illinois, which is. Um, yeah. It's a real F you to the people <laughs> the of Punxsutawney, it's like, right? Why not just film in Punxsutawney? I'm sure there wasn't Tax that much breaks, going on. Maybe. I guess. Who knows? Maybe it was. Uh, who knows? <laughs> um, so um, I guess. At the risk of boring our audience, favorite scenes, um, round round table. Um, obviously, we all really like the movie. Like, is there a particular scene that really stands out? Yes, for me, I'm just going to jump in and go first. And the scene, the scene that kind of defines the movie for me is the scene in the diner where he's, um, you know, it's it's after he's committed suicide numerous times, and he's trying to desperately explain to Andy McDowell, you know, this he had already done this at some points in the movie, but now he's at the point where he's. Um, He's like, I don't care if you believe me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And he's like, you know, this is what's going to happen in five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. A guy's going to drop a tray of food. You know, I can tell you everything about everybody in this diner. And I like the, I like the, uh, the concept that, um, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I like the idea that this, what this movie's getting at about uh, a deities and the all-knowing, and what pe- you know, the idea of God as someone who's just been around long enough to know everything. <laughs> and so, so this kind of satirical idea of, of what uh, a God could be. Uh, I, th- I think it's funny and, and kind of is summed up in the scene where he's, you know, he's just accepted the fact that this is his life. He's going to know everything that happens every second of, you know, every millisecond of every day of the, sub- of the same day over and over again. And the way that scene is played out, I think it's just brilliant. I mean, I think the timing of that scene is great. I love, I love the performances of Andy McDowell and Bill Murray and all the supporting. I mean, it's kind of a showcase scene for the movie. It's like, um, this is what the movie is. I, you know, if you're if you're really with the movie at this point, you're gonna love this scene. So I think for me, that's the best scene of the movie. It's it's also one of the uh, most memed scenes in the movie. There's like this big uh, meme that went back uh, went around the internet like a couple years ago, where it explains how like it uses that scene to explain how Reddit is the source of all knowledge in the internet, and like Facebook is represented by Sam Elliott's. It's not Sam Elliott. It's um, Sam Elliott. <laughs> why do I keep saying that? Jeez. Chris, Elliott. Chris Elliott coming into. I really into the, want a Sam to. I really want Sam Elliott movie. to be in this movie. Uh, Chris Elliott coming in with you know saying, "Oh, Van won't like Van won't start that kind of thing." Like, and he represents Better Facebook. Better get ahead of the weather. And like he's Facebook because they're behind and everything. And Bill Murray's Reddit because he's well, he's all knowing about everything. Huh. And Andy McDowell is like the clueless user. Like it's it's very interesting how that scene has uh, uh, pro- proliferated. That's Mike, what is your um, uh, favorite scene? I, I think I actually covered both. Uh, you know, the scene of him, I uh, said the, the guy in the, oh, the, you're right, the, the guy scene in the, in the alley, right? But also, I, I just, I love that line where he talks about the guy in the town and he's like, and he's saying, you know, same place, same time, over and over again. Yeah, it sounds like my life. I was cracking up for longer than I should have been at that line. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoyed that one. Um, well, Groundhog Day always makes me hungry. 
the the scene in the diner where he just has all the pastries laid out in front of him. He puts a whole piece of cake in his mouth. And he puts an entire piece of cake in his mouth. And it's just a very memorable scene because A, it always makes me want to have cake for, even though it's gluttonous, I'm like, oh God. It uh, reminds me of um, that scene in Hook where they show like the colorful food for the first time. And you're like, uh-huh. as a kid, you're like, I really want to eat all that food. Um, so that, that, that scene has always ingrained itself uh, with me. Uh, my favorite punchline in the entire movie is my favorite joke in the whole film is when she's like, oh, you didn't study journalism in college? He's like, no, I was a, um, I studied French poetry. He's like, <laughs> he's like, ha, what a waste of time. And then it cuts to the next scene and she's like, oh, I studied French poetry in college. And he was like, he, he just recites the entire thing. Yeah. She's like, you right, speak French? We right. oui. And it's just yeah. like, it's just. That's the amazing- scene I remember getting, the, like the trailers, whenever I would see the trailers, you know, way back when. I remember that's the one that always, people always laughed at. Because it's just a, it's just a, and uh, the, it's just a brilliantly, uh, it's just a great comedic moment. There's, uh, there's this throwaway uh, line or scene, I guess, you know, right after he's crashed the car, after he's with the two guys in the diner, he's, you know, it, it's a little bit of a silly, it's, I don't, it almost was guessing they just threw in there because they needed a car chase or something. So he's running from the police. But the way it ends, I love where he's, he's just, don't worry guys, I got this. And the police officer walks up the door. He's like, yeah, I'll take uh, two cheeseburgers, <laughs> fries, yeah. and flapjacks. <laughs> too early for, you know, too early for flapjacks. I remember when I was a kid, that was the scene I laughed at the loudest. But, you know, now the, the stuff that I find funny is a little bit different. Um, no, yeah, I think that scene's still pretty funny. No, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole movie is, is, is still pretty funny. Uh, another great one-liner is when Chris... Uh, <laughs> I think it's been this has been reused by other movies since, but when he crashes over the quarry, like, and she's like, oh, he might like, be all right, and then it blows <laughs> up. Um, <laughs> nope, no, no, nope. No, 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 no. <laughs> So, yeah, well, I love how extreme. Yeah, I think I appreciate Chris Elliott in this movie now more than I did when I saw it. Yeah, he's and great. Chris Elliott, he, he's got a couple lines that I think he he nails. There's some other lines that are just like, ah, I don't know, a little bit stiff or weird. But I think overall, I think he, he was perfect in the, in the role. I think he hit a lot of the lines he needed to hit. Well, he's he, such a uh, yucky kind of actor. Yeah, he's good at playing <laughs> like schlubby guy. Like he's just, I don't even know. He was perfect in uh, uh, something about Mary. I think he was a perfect, perfectly cast for that role. So... Is he the hitchhiker in that movie? No, he's the guy. He's like his buddy. Who's oh, right, right. Oh, yeah. He tells him he has to jack off. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. All right. All right. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. He's, he's pretty fucking good in, in, in that movie. And I, I agree with you about his delivery. It's a couple of lines don't quite – he's like overplaying them. Because um, I think the line when he, um, Bill Murray like does that really depressing newscast about the groundhog. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to uh, Chris Elliott going, he's out of his gourd. But like the way he <laughs> says it is just a little too big for me. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, that's, I, I guess I thought it was too big when I, you know, years, but I, I, I appreciate some of the bigness in this movie. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's a movie that manages to be both subtle and big at the same time, which seems oxymoronic, but like, how can a movie be about so many things about death and, and, and finding the joy in the small things in life, but also have these really broad caricatures and people. So, um, it's one thing, amazing. one thing I wanted to touch on was when you said this movie has been kind of imitated over and over again, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with more than one movie that I could, that I can think of. Well, I mean, Edge of Tomorrow is the obvious yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. The Tom Cruise um, movie. But there's been a bunch of movies that have done this repetition thing. Uh, there's been a couple of Christmas movies. There's a movie called Christmas Every Day where it's, just, it's about got a kid who has to celebrate Christmas every day until he, he finds the true meaning of the holiday. Um, <laughs> sounds uh, like something done by, directed by Kirk Cameron or something. <laughs> um, it's one of those movies that like plays on the Hallmark channel every year. Oh, God. You know, um, literally. Uh, um, and then there's just other, um, I think movies like Triangle are definitely influenced by Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. uh, any movie that has the formula of repetition of the same events over and over again. And I, True. you could go, you could go, I guess you could go, um, that that could be as loose as, or as strict as you want it to be because then you start getting into time travel movies in general, which I don't know if that's a good place to be in, but... Right, we, um, we, yeah, we, we haven't done that many. I mean, I guess we did 12 Monkeys, so that's probably another example of, of a movie. And, and, you know, and and predating Groundhog Day, a movie like Le Chate, or the idea that, you're, you know, you can't stop the past because, you know, time is just going to keep repeating itself right. uh, over and over again. So this is the kind of movie that you could have been done in any number of ways. I mean, the, the way it was done, the, the concept... An Edge of Tomorrow was, it, it's a guy who's living, who's getting killed every day and wakes up, you know, to start the day again. And he's killed again, he's killed again. And, and, and uh, you know, that's a movie that doesn't really find a great ending, I think, the way that, that uh, Groundhog Day does. Um, 
But I think that Groundhog Day could have been a drama, right? It, it could have been if it wasn't played, if it wasn't directed by Harold Ramis and and starring Bill Murray, you could have, you know, you know, Martin Scorsese could have directed Robert De Niro, and it could have been a very terrifying uh, meditation on, on on humanity and and what it means to be human. And um, it could have been a very different movie. It could have been a horror movie. It could have been, you know, it could have been a science. It could be a science fiction action movie, like it was with Tom Cruise. So. Um, you know, I think that the, the core, the base of this movie is really strong. And, uh, I think maybe the reason it holds up as well as it does is, is that the humor really holds up really well. Yeah, for sure. The, and it's a movie that still feels funny, you know, and, you know, 20 years later now. Yeah. (laughs) Over, over 20 years later. Jesus. Um, and I think that's a testament to a great comedy. In fact, uh, of all the comedies, and we haven't watched that many for this show, this podcast, um, I think this movie is the funniest of all the movies that we have rewatched for, um, I, I mean, I, I st- was still laughing out loud. Even, the, even I get, how is it that we can still find things funny when we know the punchline? That's what's so crazy to me. Like I can watch an episode of Seinfeld, like a really good episode of Seinfeld and still laugh. Mm. And I, maybe it's the familiarity, the joy that the joke has brought me in the past that, that I'm, that's tickling me because it's not the surprise of the comedy anymore because you know what the, the joke is. So. You know, what's interesting is that I find that I, I laugh more at, at movies that I've seen before with other people. So if I'm sitting with my wife yep, and, yep. and I'm watching it, you know, but when I'm by myself, I, it's it's rare for me to laugh out loud at things. But uh, if I'm watching, if I'm watching a movie like this with uh, my wife or friends or anything, um, you know, I think it's just it's it's a it's a it feels good to laugh. So it's like it's it's almost like this movie's allowing you know the jokes are just good enough uh, that they allow you to laugh, you know, even if you know the outcome. You know. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, so any final thoughts on Groundhog Day before we close out uh, this episode? Um, anything any, we didn't cover that I neglected to mention because my notes are a real mess? Uh, I mean, would you, would you guys think of the music in this movie? I mean, I thought the, uh, I, I've always loved the opening, the uh, opening theme with the clouds and everything. Yeah, that's and, good. Uh, and they, they, there's a lot of pop soundtrack. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the, uh, um, Sonny and Cher's I Got You Babe is forever yeah. cemented in my mind as being yeah. more from this movie yeah. than existing outside of it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of essential. Um, it's interesting how movies can take songs and contort their meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, it's a, the, the, the Louis Armstrong song. Is it Louis Armstrong? That wonderful world. Uh, that song has never been used. I think uh, non ironically in a movie and it's just right. always takes on a really dark connotation. But for I me. don't attach that song to a movie the way I do with, with I, attached, I, I got you, babe, to this I movie. That definitely. To, uh, 12 Monkeys. What's the one we saw recently oh, uh, for the I, podcast? We saw, we saw um, Good, Morning Williams, Viet, Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, and, Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. And 12 Monkeys. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been, that, that song's been in a lot of movies, but there's certain songs that just, you know, for the, 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 the Sunny and Cher movie, uh, song, I Got You, Babe, definitely. And you, you, you wouldn't put it in another movie at this point because no, and, and <laughs> people you, are just going to think of Groundhog Day. And also the uh, the Groundhog Day polka, the wake up, like that is totally. Uh, that was nice. How, how does that go again? <laughs> wake up. You got the You actually did it a second time. I'm impressed. I'm really sleep deprived. I can just do anything at this point. All right, soundtrack to Hoosiers. Go. It's all laser sounds and foley effects. You know. Oh, and then of course Dave's patented soundtrack to The Fugitive. So we're gonna find that sound someday. Um, yeah, uh, and all in good times all around. Uh, so any, uh, final comments? Happy Groundhog Day, everybody. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Let's yeah, see if I can, right. hold on. Let's see if I can, hold on. Let's Is that what I... you're supposed to say? Happy Groundhog Day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that time again. Wow, it's, no, it's no wonder the fugitive didn't win this picture. <laughs> I, um, not to digress too much. I recently read an article, a comedy article, and it was like, why the fugitive is the best movie ever made. And it just goes Whoa. on. And, on. and it's a, co- it's basically a comedy piece and just oh. talking about how like, uh, managed to make a compelling villain when man only had one arm. Like, it's just like, oh. it's fantastic. Um, anyway. Um, so yeah, closing out this episode, Michael, where can people find your work on the internet? 
You can find me uh, on Twitter at MikeMirandi.com. You can, no, sorry, at MikeMirandi. Then also <laughs> MikeMirandi.com. I like how you combine websites and Twitter. Into the <laughs> and I have a collection of GIFs over at uh, Dribble. That's Dribble with three Bs, um, dot com slash MikeMirandi. Dave. Oh, hey, Dave, you're up. <laughs> Dave Glanz, Jillian Z, and DaveGlanzProductions.com. Uh, and you can follow me at Twitter at Ivan Kander. That's I-V-A-N-K-A-N-D-E-R. And I write net at four website. What is it called, Mike? Shortoftheweek.com. Top of the morning to you. There we go. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah. So really Speaking of doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. My, I tell you, my life is Groundhog's Day. Um, <laughs> so, Hog. So for next episode, we are going, because it's so cold outside, we decided we were going to warm ourselves up. We are going to be watching Spike Lee's do the right thing. A movie that takes place in the dead of summer. Um, the, prob- the dead of going, summer. We're going is, to is do that, the is, right is, thing. Is that a? Uh, no, it's the dead of winter. It's the dead, dead of, of winter. Dead of winter. The, the dog heat days of summer. Of summer? The, the the yeah. I guess that's good. The dog yeah. days of summer. <laughs> um, what many people consider to be Spike Lee's masterpiece. Uh, uh, Spike Lee is an interesting filmmaker. I'm excited to talk about him because he's a filmmaker that I think is incredibly talented, but at the same time has produced so much crap. So it's really interesting to think about like this idea of a man being able to accomplish a comp to create brilliance, but at the same time, like make a movie like she hate me. So Mm. that's pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, so, uh, until next time, um, does it, does anyone else want to try to lead us out with a little polka? No. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Subscribe, subscribe to us on iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe to us. on professionals. We are so good. Subscribe to us on iTunes, please. Uh, and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash review podcast. If you have a movie you'd like us to cover, you can email us at contact at reviewpodcast.com and we will do our best to get to it eventually. Okay, I'm out, All right, guys. so we're going to start the podcast, right? So we're doing Groundhog Day? <laughs> yeah, so on this episode, episode, welcome, hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Reviewed Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I'm... little hand in mine. <laughs>